wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Chris Voss Show! Oh my gosh! It's another show from the Chris Voss Show. Welcome, welcome one and all. Uh, I hope you're having a good week so far. We've got some amazing, amazing guests on the show today. Uh, He's going to be talking about his new book, and we'll be talking about some of that. It's uh, very topical. You'll find uh, we'll have a Apollo 13 astronaut later on today, so you want to check that out as well. And also, you can go to youtube.com forward Chris Voss to subscribe to all the amazing it's the latest technology. It's free for an unlimited time. You go there, you hit the bell notification button, and you too can be notified of the latest amazing guests we have on the Chris Foss Show. We just launched a new podcast, actually, I should uh, give a plug-in for. It's called Beacons of Leadership with Chris Foss. It's featuring me. Who saw that coming? And uh, we're going to have leaders on over there on there. If you're familiar with my book, Beacons of Leadership, leaders we have going on. Anyway, we just punched this out on the LinkedIn newsletter. You want to go ahead and subscribe to that. That thing is huge over on LinkedIn. And our new, our, not new, geez, it's been around for, I don't know, 10 years, our 132,000 LinkedIn group. So go subscribe over there. But we talk about leadership. So if you like leadership and all those things about leadership, you can go over there and listen to what uh, whatever the heck I'm rambling on about from any given podcast to podcast. <laughs> also go see all our books for reading review on goodreads.com forward slash Chris Foss and all of our groups, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram as well. So we're excited to announce my new book is coming out. It's called Beacons of Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. It's going to be coming out on October 5th, 2021. And I'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book. It's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO entrepreneurial toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate, and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33, 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well or order the book wherever fine books are sold. Today, we have another amazing author on the show. He's the author of the hottest book that's just come out, April 12th, which is, oh my gosh, today. Where's this year going on me? April 12th, just launched today, Pandemic Incorporated, Chasing the Capitalists and Thieves Who Got Rich Well, We Got Sick. J. David McSwain is on the show with us today. He's going to be talking to us about this amazing research that he put into this. He is a reporter in ProPublica's Washington, D.C. office. Previously, he was an investigative reporter for the Dallas Morning News and the Austin American Statesman. McSwain's reporting has spurned or spurred new laws and state and federal criminal investigations, forced belt-tightening lawmakers to invest in social programs, and won awards, including Harvard's Goldsmith Prize for Investigative Reporting and Worth Bingham's Prize, a Scripps Howard Award, two IRE Awards, and the Peabody. That's a lot of awards. Welcome to the show, David. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Congratulations on the new book. I am awesome, and uh, we're honored to have you today. Thanks for having me. 
Yes. So give us your plugs, any dot-coms you want people to go check out, find out more about you on the interweb. Well, yeah, check, check out the book at your local bookstore. You can buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any of the above. You can find me on Twitter at David McSwain. Yeah. I, I need to get I need to get an, an, an intro like your show uh, <laughs> for myself. There you there, go. There's a brain bleed in there. That was amazing. The brain bleed, yeah. There was a few other things that we, we we took out because it was a little too racy. I think we had something about it might enhance your sex life, sort of thing, and you know, it was a little oh. too it was a little too fun. We're like, you know, we, we're not going to get we're not going to get top journalists on the show with some of the fun that was in there. But you know, it was, it was a comedy bit. But so we edited it down. But yeah, we've had some people on the show that are just like. Am I on a WWE wrestling thing? Did I, you know, I'm on one of those things, but it's always fun. And and I, I want to say something, too. I really love your bio and investigative reporting that you do. We, we, we really appreciate journalists on this program because people need to realize how much they expose, you know, abuses and stuff that goes on. And of course, so many times they put their life on the line. So thanks for that and, and calling out some of these. So, you know, if it wasn't for you guys, there'd be a lot of people getting away with a lot of stuff in government. Thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. It. It's important the audience realizes this and realizes how valuable journalism, especially when we see some of the journalists that have passed away in Ukraine. So what motivated you to want to uh, research this book and write it? Well, I really sort of stumbled into it, actually. I was uh, fairly new in ProPublica's D.C. office here just a few months in the pandemic hits and like every reporter in the country was trying to figure out my place in what's probably uh, hopefully the largest news story of our generation uh, of our lives and was just watching as the, the Trump administration ill prepared was trying to catch up and awarding contracts just you know we're starting to see billions go out the door and just knowing what I know from investigative reporting and covering some contracts at the state and local level I figured people are going to take advantage of this program and started taking a look at who was getting money and started finding some weird cases, some weird deals, and started making calls. And I think recently, just in the last couple of weeks, there's been new reporting about just massive abuses. And I think the Justice Department is going still after a bunch of people, I think. Yeah, that, a lot. There's been a lot in the last couple of weeks about unemployment fraud. It, it was incredibly easy to make claims for unemployment uh, benefits, and a lot of people did that. We saw the similar thing a little bit earlier in the Paycheck Protection Program, which I get into in in the book of people really fleecing the Small Business Administration, and you know that's part of why President Biden, in his State of the Union address, announced a special prosecutor to look into pandemic fraud, which uh, a lot of which is detailed in this book. And hopefully they're looking and following up on some of it. That's right. I remember uh, that being announced and, and uh, stuff going on. So give us an overall arcing of the book, kind of a 30,000 foot view before we get into some of the details of, of what's inside. Sure. Well, I, I sort of, like, like I said, I started with a few phone calls. I ended up talking to one federal contractor who got a, a large deal, $34.5 million with the Veterans Administration to deliver something like 6 million masks. And this, these were the really scary months where, the, where masks were really you know, needed on the front line. We didn't have vaccines. Hospitals were overrun. Nurses and doctors were, were in great peril. And I had a suspicion that, that he probably didn't have, have these masks, or if he did, I wondered how he had them. And I called him. He said, I'm delivering them tomorrow. I'm getting on a private jet. And I said, well, can I come with you? And he said yes. And, and that really launched me on 
you know, more than a year of reporting following not only his saga, but many contractors and, and also just entrepreneurs who saw an opportunity to make money during our national crisis. I think I remember this story in lifetime as you were reporting it. You got on a plane with him and, and he went someplace and it, it really wasn't, it didn't turn out whatever, but he's still like hustling the thing, I think, or am I, <laughs> am I vaguely correct? Yeah, yeah. So I, I joined him the next morning. It was a Saturday, the last Saturday of April 2020. And it was literally as we were taken off, he revealed to me, you know, I don't actually have the masks. Somebody <laughs> bought them out from under me. And I said, well, why the hell are we going to Chicago then if you don't have the masks? And, and he says, well, I have faith that I'm going to get them. I, I've been talking with, you know, and he lists, you know, a bunch of colorful characters he's working with. And he's describing to me this like underworld, this, you know, of, of mask brokers and investors and people who are making money behind the scenes. And that's what he's been dealing with. And I said, that's, you know, I'd like to know more about that. And over the course of that trip, as we flew first to Georgia and then to Chicago, it became clear to me that, you know, he didn't have masks. He didn't have a line on masks. And, but he yeah. knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was Jersey. The that was the theme throughout. Yeah. And, you know, I began to wonder, you know, if this guy had defrauded the federal government and was committing a crime before my eyes. And I didn't know all the answers, but we wrote what we knew because we, we felt we needed to get this out to the public really quickly because yeah. these were the sort of people that our federal government was entrusting with our national well-being. This was what we were, this was our plan. This was the strategy <laughs> to get masks to our, our frontline workers. And, you know, and from there I ended up falling into a number of different colorful, char colorful characters and scams and, and swindles and so forth and tried to stitch it all together to get that sort of uh, high level of 30,000 foot view and just walked away with, you know, a story of really gross government incompetence and negligence and the consequences of that being we were really held hostage to our own worst impulses. You know, this idea yeah. that the free market would save us and we'll just throw money at it. And, and it really created chaos. Yeah. And I remember reading that story in Lifetime. And I think, that, wasn't there a series of articles you had on the thing as it developed and the guy, you know, eventually played out? And Did they end up prosecuting him? I think they went after him, didn't they? He, he was eventually... Federal prosecutors followed up on on that story and you know dug into his finances a little bit more and he was charged with three counts of fraud. Wow! Uh, to which he he did plead guilty and, and he's currently in prison. Wow! Well, that's 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 some you know reconciliation. The 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 interesting thing about it was, and correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, you know I I can be wrong, but but during the. <laughs> Ask my wife, my nine ex-wives. I'm not married. But, you know, during the Trump administration, it was a very different administration than we've ever had before or since. And, you know, here in Utah, we had, I'm sure you're familiar with that group. There was a group of technology nerds who had a startup who decided to, to I think, I can't remember if it was mass or some sort of flu intervictamin. I don't remember exactly. I think it was masks and they, they did a startup and ended up, you know, causing problems with the, the Utah government. Of course they just like, and there was something really right. unique about the Trump administration where it was like the government just was failing at doing whatever it needed to do. And at first, you know, there was the denials so like, Oh, you know, it's just, it's no big deal. It's 15 people on a ship. And yeah, it's just the flu, you know, it'd be gone by April. 
you know, I remember all this stuff. Uh, but it seemed like it just, even during the Trump administration, normal times, it was just, it, it was just business, sort of fascist, sort of business for everybody, you know, anybody, everybody, it was like a pirate ship where just anybody who wanted to make a buck could jump in, including Jared Kushner. And, and so all these people just seemed to come out of the woodwork that were just how to get rich quick schemers, you know, jumping into that pile. Is that, is that a good analogy or am I off the mark? Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of the behavior we saw, people were taking signals from the White House and, you know, our top elected official. And, you know, you add to that, there's sort of this perfect storm of the Trump administration had sort of been systematically tearing apart bureaucracy. Yeah. And, you know, the, the public, as a result, lost faith in government, even before we were being told not to wear masks and then told to wear masks. So you have this, you have this just mess and you sort of have this cultural, and I think Trump exacerbated this, this cultural sense of really fierce in individual liberty, right? And we all know that, you know, living in this country and that manifests in, in the context of, of capitalism is sort of this worship of the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't have a problem with that on its face, as long as you're acting in good faith and, you know, you're, you know, you're making honest money for honest work. But what I saw in some of my characters, in, including Robert Stewart, who commissioned the private jet, was it was hard for me to tell initially, you know, who who really embodied that capitalist spirit, you know, who, who was really trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and at the same time do something that they're, you know, for their country and who was sort of falling for their own myth while mm -hmm. they were really just trying to fleece us all and get rich. And yeah. that was really the central tension I saw with Robert Stewart Jr., who I ultimately view as sort of a tragic figure, and others in the book, including some people in the Trump administration and, and just other random people I met while following tips. You know, in... I, I, I'm in the, I've always been in the tech business and uh, a lot of our initial uh, 10 years of the podcast is like Silicon Valley type stuff. Mm -hmm. And there is a hustler economy out there. I mean, there's two, there's two parts of the hustler economy. There's the hustle where people work hard. I've been an entrepreneur since 18, but you know, I don't do anything that gets me in jail. I kind of have a policy about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't really, I don't know, I, I've got a real thing about just not going to jail. And if there's a question of like, would this put me in jail? You know, we did mortgages for 20 years and there was, there was people all around us doing mortgage fraud. People come to work for me and you know, they, they'd be like, how come you don't have those signature tracer lights here, Chris? I'm like, that's cause we're not going to jail. I don't call it deterrent. Yeah. yeah it's like, <laughs> we're not, I'm not doing anything that puts me in that sort of thing. But right. so, you know, I, I, but there's also hustlers. They, they grab, we see this in the NFT and the cryptocurrency thing, you know, and, and NFT is so ripe with ripoffs right now. It's crazy. And so we see these hustlers that they grab on and they're pretty much just kind of what I call carpet bagging scam carpet baggers. They just carpet bag on whatever the newest thing is and they just scam people. And it seemed like there was so many of these people that were doing that. One of the questions I have for you, I, there was stories and I, and I don't think that I ever fully got to the bottom of it, but there were stories that actually Jared Kushner held back a full sort of masking program that, that the government was going to do so that he and his, some of his crony friends 
could try and figure out a way to corner the market and 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 make money off of it. Is that was there truth? Well, there are a couple of things there. I mean, you're right. There is just something that there are always going to be con artists. And I touch on this in the book as well. I mean, we have a rich history. This is a country, you know, built as one of my characters said in the book on, you know, on pirates, by pirates. And you're, you're always going to see that. But there, I think there was an especially strong sense in this era under this particular administration with all the chaos going on that you, that deterrent wasn't there, that you could get away with it. Yeah. Uh, and there was it was just too much too fast and this was a great opportunity for for the hustlers and you you mentioned you're you're an entrepreneur and when i was a kid my mom had me going into bowling alley selling candy you know i was always always making money which is ironic because i became a journalist but i you know i have respect for that there's nothing wrong with that but but it's when you start screwing people over and delaying the national pandemic response and and really causing negative downstream effects that that it becomes interesting to me and needs to be written about. In terms of Kushner, I talk about this in the book too, a, a lot of a lot of the, the problems that he caused were just public relations. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a task force. It was, you know, Mike Pence was in charge of this out of the White House, which some had problems with. You know, it should it should be federal emergency managers, like professionals who understand you know, emergency response in charge of these things. But you had you had this official task force that was led by Pence. And then you had Kushner bringing in volunteers and, you know, and, and well-to-do people with time on their hands to try to track down things that the, the federal government needed. But they weren't employees. They didn't know how to access federal <laughs> money. They're approving things that make no sense. They're making referrals to New York state for instance who gives gave someone a contract and now they're having to sue <laughs> to get their money back it it just created this perception at the same time you've got the president clearly favoring the policies and people and politics of red states that you know he had his thumb on the pulse at every turn i i spent a lot of time talking with the the navy admiral who was brought in a little late but put in charge of the supply chain task force and he says you know, a lot of that, it's really annoying to me because I came in that we didn't have a single mask in the, in the national stockpile. And I had to just start figuring out where things were going to go. And we came up with this plan to ship things in by plane rather than maritime transport, which gets called Project Airbridge, right? And then Kushner puts his face on it. It's sort of shrouded in secret secrecy. It did deliver some masks, but how effective it was is really unclear. But you really couldn't separate what was, you know, some work being done uh, by these professionals from the face of Jared Kushner, who was bringing in friends, doing things on his private cell phone, has all these business ties. And what you get is there, there was a lot of innuendo out there that you know, Kushner's really, you know, doing this and that. And I think more than anything, and, the, and there, you know, there's some of that. I think more than anything, he just brought chaos to the thing. And he comes out and he says, it's not the state stockpile, it's our stockpile. It's it's ours. Yeah. And uh, we're going to decide who gets what. And at that point, the message had really run away from the people who were trying to actually solve a problem. And it became all politics. And then, not to mention, you write about in the book, he's, I believe he's just been referred to, because he's not talking to Congress, let me pull this up again, so that there was Jared Kushner, and then there was the, who, who's Navarro. the guy? Peter Navarro, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
If you know, and Peter Consumi, if anybody that I've ever seen work at the White House who ha- looks like he has a crack problem or a meth problem, aside from the pillow guy, Peter Navarro, man, like just anytime I've ever seen that man talk, I'm like, how did that guy get within the state of the White House at all? He sounds like a rambling idiot, and of course, you know, see who he works for, but you know, Peter Navarro, if you want to touch on that, I mean, with him sort of you know, doing crazy stuff as well off the, off the, off the, you know, doing, there is, it was like, a, it was just like a bunch of people on a pirate ship doing whatever the hell they wanted. It, I mean, it truly was madness. I, I really wanted to talk to Peter Navarro. He, he wouldn't return my calls. He's one of those people who only talk to right wing folks. And I think he, I think he wanted to keep some details from, for his book, but I was fascinated by him because he, he is such a character, as you mentioned, and, you know, I sort of began to think of him as like the Nicolas Cage of American politics. You know, like, you know he, he does some good stuff, and then sometimes you're like, what was that? And he's just always there. He's just always there. And, uh, you know, there's a Nick Cage movie coming out. I'm going to be the first to see it. But say this in a, in a condescending way. Like, I, I'm drawn to characters. I want yeah. to know him and find out a little bit more and everything I could gather from interviews and and public records and emails and stuff that came out from Congress, he he was almost a hero in this story. He was one of the few in the Trump administration who said, you know, holy crap, we're in trouble. We got we got to start spending money and we got to we got to get masks. We got to get vaccines. And I think he was frustrated that they weren't moving in what he called you know Trump time. Mm-hmm. So he did something remarkable. He he essentially took over the federal purchasing apparatus. And I, I found early on there was this major contract, I think it was ninety million dollars steered steered to this company. And it's in this, you know, usually boring purchasing data that I'm reviewing. And somebody wrote, ordered by the White House, which you never see. And for obvious reasons, you can't have a political office and political appointees steering public money to the companies that they see uh fit. And that was happening. And I didn't know right away, but it was him. And, you know, so he was trying to get things moving, but he's steering contracts to certain people who have connections. He's not cutting deals with an American mask manufacturer who said, I can get you millions of masks, you know, because they quarreled because he's such a big personality. And then he becomes obsessed with hydroxychloroquine, you know, which was being touted as this sort of, you know, cure-all. So there were these moments where... You know, you're almost rooting for Peter Navarro, despite, you know, despite himself to be successful. And by the way, he'd run as a Democrat in California several times before he somehow ends up on the, the Trump administration. There are moments where you're almost cheering for the guy and, and you wish he'd gotten what he wanted. And then you realize, well, he just really got in his own way. Yeah. Uh, and for better or worse, I mean, he was one of the people in the Trump administration trying to do something. But I think a pirate ship is an apt metaphor. Yeah. I, I yeah I recall now yeah you're right and of course you're right because you researched this I'm just the host uh, interviewing but I remember there was that memo that he put out and it leaked out that he'd been the canary in the coal mine right screaming right. the ship is on fire or whatever and 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 it had come out and I remember I remember that I remember a lot of those things were either him or Kelly Kellyanne I've tried to forget her name you know they'd be on the TV you know 
rambling about whatever and yeah. they look like I do in the morning when you when you woken up from a hangover or something. Yeah. Uh, and they talk you know, he's he's very anti China and and there are some valid concerns there and I think we're all coming to terms with that. His his sort of anti China fanaticism really bled through everything. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to take him seriously even when he was right, some people. Yeah. So do you do you get into PP PPP in the book the the PPP loans or do you just stick with the PPP? We go all over the place. To test tubes. Wow. I'm sorry. Uh, testing kits, and I, I have a chapter devoted to the PPP loans. This was this was such low hanging fruit. There's been so many stories written about it. So I, I really tried to quantify and pick out some of the things that I just found absolutely astounding. And, you know, aside from buying yachts and cars and, you know, people, there was one guy who bought a giant mansion and a Lincoln Navigator and paid off his wife's debts. And, you know, federal investigators are figuring it out. And he, 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 he goes on the lamb and they end up finding him in Croatia. And, you know, he says, well, I left because under Trump, what I was doing was fine, but Biden was going to come after me. But one of the things I found most astounding about the PPP program, other than speed was prioritized above all else. So this was just the easiest fraud in the history of fraud. Yeah. Uh, you, you lie on a few documents, you get millions of dollars was essentially how it was working. But one of the things I found most astounding, my colleagues at ProPublica reported, just looking through the data and like calling people, that there were hundreds of fake farms that were created to get major loans and they were bizarre things like an orange orchard in minnesota and you know things that geographically could not make sense and they had funny names like mcdonald's not burgers but flowers and beefy king just and you know there were a bunch of farms off the jersey shore where there is no farming just just basic due diligence found that these things didn't exist and there are hundreds of them and they're all getting loans. So, so I tried to highlight some of the more absurd elements of that. And, you know, frankly, we're going to be, we're going to be trying to quantify how much fraud there really was and investigators and prosecutors are going to be chasing these things down probably for the next decade. And I imagine with your reporting, I mean, I remember there was a lot of small businesses that, and medium-sized businesses, you know, Main Street businesses, if you will, people that I knew that had, you know, their little restaurants or little businesses, they all tried to grab some of that PPP money. They were, they were legitimate businesses, and it was gone within seconds. And, of course, it, you know, we found out later, and they, and I think it was – who was the guy who was over the Fed and the money? He just got a, a billion-dollar loan after he left the thing from the Saudis. But he – they wouldn't disclose where the money had gone initially, which was really suspect, right? Right. We had to sue uh, <laughs> along with other news organizations. And, and this just flew in the face of the Freedom of Information Act. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's the sort of thing that we journalists get to be really indignant about. So we had to sue. They release it. And right away, just tons of stories coming out of that and leaving oh, yeah. for, for investigative reporters. And, and we did see in evaluating that data that, you know, the big banks such as J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America had, in fact, given that first wave of loans, the way they were being processed ended up going to major companies that had like franchisees and, you know, the way they could work it. They were able to get money, including hotels. So people who needed it, like your local barber, uh, you know, these places that were closed down, couldn't get in on the first wave. So in the second wave, 
they relied on fintech a little bit more and there was sort of looser, even looser oversight of that. Holy so that's where crap. you see the smaller individual fraud. But at the same time, it did actually free up for some people to get it. So we just have yeah. this like, you know, flawed tax system to begin with and all these other things. So rushing money to the American public is just inherently messy. And when you have no safeguards on it and speeds the priority, you know, if you're willing to lie on a couple documents, you can have you can have a real. And the sad part is, a lot of those companies went out of business, lost you know right. decades they built, and you know all because of scammers and everything else. In fact, the Trump properties, to my understanding, got a lot of money. I think some of Jared Kushner's stuff got a lot of. Yeah, it was really really dirty the whole way, the way the thing went down. I guess, in my opinion, how much yeah. of this how much of this contributed to. You know, we, we've seen the fallout over two years of, of, you know, people having vaccine hesitancy, not believing in mass. We went into this whole system of, you know, what we've seen where people, you know, I mean, we're, they're still fighting on planes. The, the fallout from the, the idiocy that's come from disbelief and everything and not being able to trust stuff. You know, some, some of it I initially equated Donald Trump, you know, telling people at the beginning, oh, it's not the big deal. Oh, it's not whatever. Which is really dumb on his part. If he if he would have embraced it, he likely would be president again, and 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 done a valiant fight. He would have been president. But the initial denial and all that gameplay, I always assume created a lot of doubt in people's mind. But let me ask you this: How much of this other stuff that you researched in the book, you know, all these different scams and all this stuff going on, how much did that contribute, do you think, to, you know, mask people hating on masks and people hesitance about the vaccine stuff? Hmm. Interesting question. Uh, well, well, one thing that comes to mind, and this is a little bit earlier in your question, uh, a lot of those anti-vax folks, the people who make money by spreading misinformation or, and selling, you know, things like vitamin D super doses and sun tanning beds and, you know, that prevent cancer, they all got PPP loans for their businesses. So taxpayers bolstered the anti-vax movement indirectly, which I, I found astounding. In terms of you know, the, the crazy mask market and all that, I, you know, I don't know how much of that became sort of a cultural, you know, flashpoint for people. I think we are sort of trained to accept a certain amount of fraud. <laughs> so these, I don't know if those stories really did it, but I think turning the mask into a political weapon and, and the mask being probably the enduring image of this era was one of the more unfortunate elements. And mm -hmm you know, fighting over something so silly that is really just a minor inconvenience yeah. prevented prevented our recovery and and contributed to the profound loss of life in our in our communities. Yeah. And all that did was prolong the pandemic and prolong the spending, you know, and and has led us to this exhausted state we're in now where we're, you know, trillions in the in the hole. Yeah, uh, and like everyone's it's so sick of the whole thing. I mean, that's what kind of made, uh, what was it? The Omicron worse is people were just like, I'm done. I'm not wearing them. I'm doing, I just don't give up. I'm going to go out and make out with everybody. And, and then, yeah, we just get slammed. I didn't it, expect this book to be relevant when it can be honest well, with you. You know, I, it, you thought it'd be over and it cleaned up by then. Well, I mean, it's been two years, right? Yeah. I, I, had, I had hoped, you know, when, when I went down this road, I thought, all right, it's probably not going to be, a, a big seller, you know, because people are going to be like, well, that was a couple, you know, that was a while ago and whatever. It's about 
policy and money and, and so forth. And it became more and more about just the absurdity that, that we're in now and who we are as, as people. And unfortunately, it is it is relevant today. And, you know, I'd, I'd trade it for anything to, to have the most irrelevant book in the world to be done with this. Yeah, and it's still ongoing. I mean, you saw what happened at yeah. the it was the gridiron thing, and you know we're having these little pop ups. Uh, you're seeing what's going on in Shanghai, which is just crazy. Is that the right city? You you mentioned in the book in 2020, you could have paid a hundred dollars to form an LLC on a Monday, and by Friday have a multi millionaire contract to provide mass. That's insane, man. Oh yeah, this we saw this a lot. That's in reference to a company that did that did end up providing some masks, but all they did was ship them in for China and sell them at a markup to the U.S. Wow, these, these were your thin surgical masks. They they weren't the N95s that everyone was losing their minds over. But yeah, that company was formed. It had a, sh a shadow co-owner who was currently being sued by the Federal Trade Commission for a, a series of alleged scams, including selling. Uh, bogus male sex enhancement pills, or as mm -hmm. I call them in the book, the dick pills. And, you know, this person became a major federal contractor from whom we were dependent on, on getting masks. And we saw another instance where a company was created and very shortly thereafter got a $10 million deal with FEMA to provide test kits, which at this point, we, you know, we, we didn't have tests available like we do now. These were the PCR tests, and you know the, the fancy tests that, that are more accurate. And it, we wondered, how does this company with no medical experience, how are they providing COVID nineteen test kits? You know, and our and our we were behind many months at this point in testing, and it, it prohibited us from getting ahead of the virus. Looked into it, and this company, what they were doing, and the, and this the owner of this company had a history of fraud allegations. They were providing instead of test tubes plastic mini soda bottles, which are called preforms, which are actually blown up with heat and pressure to create your two liter bottles at the grocery store. Oh, wow. And they were in this hot warehouse with a big fan air whipping around and had temp workers taking these bottles with literal snow shovels, putting them into smaller bins and then having workers squirt saline into them, capping them off and throwing them into a bag. And when I talked to health officials in various states, they were just astounded. They're like, what is this? We don't know what this is. We can't use these. They don't fit standard lab equipment. They're not sterile. They're supposed to be hermetically sealed. And I, I show up to the warehouse and like, you know, they're loading these things into an enterprise rental truck. It's supposed to be a refrigerated truck. Start asking questions and, you know, they just scream at me and wow. uh, you know, scare me off. But I, you know, I managed to get some of it on video and see that this was a major contract for testing, and FEMA was forwarding these to all 50 states and territories. And after we reported the story, they had to say, don't use the test kit. So it set us back even further. And the thing that struck me most about that is FEMA accepted those test tubes. So the vendor was paid. And contract experts we talked to said wow. because FEMA accepted them, the contractor delivered, and they were accepted. So they get paid. That's insane. Part of your book, there's over 500 cases that they're going after. Is that correct? 500 defendants so far. In the PPP space, yeah. That have been criminally charged, I should say. There's probably more they're investigating. Yeah, I, th I suspect that we're going to be seeing investigations for a long time, particularly with, with Biden's announcement of a, a special prosecutor for pandemic fraud. Do you think that with that special prosecutor, there might be people in the government that were in the administration that 
we might uncover some sort of shady business. I know that seems like that seems like the most obvious thing to say about the Trump administration, but but, but. Uh, I think there may maybe. Um, so when I first went down this path and I was talking to some of my editors right away, we're thinking like, who's getting kickbacks? Let's dig into this. And, and that, you know, maybe there was some of that at, at the higher level, but the more I saw just random companies getting major deals, I began to suspect that we were so screwed that your contract officers, you know, just people, no, normal people with normal jobs who aren't in the public eye, who are used to buying, you know, pencils and desk chairs were now just awarding contracts left and right because they didn't know what to do. They were kind of on the front line. They had to find these things mm -hmm. and there was just no oversight. Mm -hmm. And, and the federal government would argue, well, you know, if they didn't deliver, we, we didn't pay most of the time. Right. But that doesn't work either because what was happening, for instance, in the, the case of the, the guy with the private jet and the VA contract, the VA issued a, a contract to pay about nearly $6 a mask, right? This contractor takes that contract and goes to this sort of underground market of mask brokers and investors and like people with connections to China. Now everybody in the world knows, well, the price is now $6 for a mask. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've just inflated the prices and you're competing because the Trump administration has not coordinated anything with every oh, yeah. other state and every <laughs> other city. So it just jet fueled this crazy market. And, you know, you had people who they got away with with much higher returns. And then you had people who never even had anything to begin with. And were just trying to fleece somebody, you know, get a wire transfer. Wow. I remember, yeah, you bring back how crazy it was. You had governors running to, I think it was South Korea and bringing in planes and they were worried about the FBI seizing them. You know, like states are just like on their own and right. Trump's like arguing and bashing states, especially Democrat states or something. And, right. you know, the whole thing is just chaos and just the worst leadership and poor management you could ever expect from a leader. And I remember who was the who was the governor who he went overseas. It was Korea or Japan. He gets like some load, has it personally flown in. Do you remember that? The governor of Maryland had a shipment come in. I don't know if this is the case you're referring to, but was just trying to get masks, you know. And and FEMA claimed they weren't seizing things, but I think what what was happening is somebody at FEMA would decide, well, there's this lot of masks here these are more needed elsewhere so they were rerouting things and then with kushner and trump you know people would connect the dots and say well they're giving them to red states rather than blue states and <laughs> you know there's a lot of innuendo it's hard to prove what was what but what was clear is governors were on their own gavin newsom in, in california cut a really lucrative deal with that company in china got a lot of heat for it and you know i mentioned this it might not have been the worst idea you know the price notwithstanding and you know it took them a while to deliver but this you know if you're a governor of a state you're looking at the trump administration's response we had mm -hmm. something like one percent of what we needed in the national stockpile it might make sense to try to get your own masks and that just heats everything up and then you have andrew cuomo of new york on TV talking about how it's like eBay. And, you know, we were just shooting ourselves in the foot because there was, yeah. there was no one controlling this market. This is not a time for like, you know, untethered, unfettered capitalist enterprise. It's time for a national leadership to decide where we move things and make sure 
that, you know, people can't price gouge and you, and you get things where they need to be. Yeah. I mean, that really contributed to the whole pirate ship image too, with the states having to outbid each other and they're all fighting and and yeah andrew was doing those, those press conferences i'll never forget the one the time he talked about the boyfriend the boyfriend that was always a funny bit when he talk about his daughters and the boyfriend yeah, but yeah the, the rest of the time you'd sit and listen to him and go well this what he says makes sense like why why, why isn't the federal government it, you, there's a reason we have one and uh right. there you go last i mean there's so much that you have in the richness of this book that's amazing anything we want to touch on or tease out we probably talk for like 20 hours and people need to go buy the book and you know one thing i would like to add <clears throat> you know i was writing about the pandemic while i like everybody else was enduring it. We're all tired. And I tried to keep that in mind. You know, I didn't want to write a book that was just like a dissertation of everything that just happened and just depress us further. Mm -hmm. This is really a story about who we are as Americans and what, you know, the way we behaved and hopefully a blueprint for exactly what not to do yeah. next time we're faced <clears throat> with such a crisis. And, you know, in the process of reporting, you run into crazy people. I, you know, I was, I was, I had one person I'm talking to. She's trying to get me high, and uh, she was a delightful character. There was a time when I thought she might be a stripper, but she was actually a Native American medicine woman. These are real things. And no, she, she, she's a legitimate, you know, earth medicine practitioner. She said, you know, this is sort of the mysteries in the book. I finally find her, but through, through the course of reporting, you know, you don't always get the answer you're looking for. You don't always get the answer and you end up somewhere else and you find funny and wacky things. So I tried to, to include that, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's the anger we all feel in here. There's the humor that I found along the way. And I try to provide some lessons. It's, it's not just a dramatic retelling of everything we just saw. And, and that was important to me because, you know, we're, we all just experienced a trauma and we're, st we're still in it and that maybe we could use some levity. And, and definitely to learn something from it. Like, let's not do this ever again, at least not respond. You know, I don't, I don't think we have any control over a virus technically, right. but you know, the, the response was, I mean, I was stunned. Uh, the CDC was one of the most, b before the thing, was one of the most highest regarded, uh, as you know, they would say it was one of the most highest regarded, you know, intellectual, logical uh, sort of, you know, parts of our government. And, you know, within months, it was it was turned into a clown factory. I'll never forget when, what was it, when Donald Trump sat there and lied to everybody in, in this, at the CDC offices and said, yeah, everyone can get a test. Like, now, yeah, they're available all, all over the place, yeah. Right. And you're just like, holy shit. And the, the guys are just standing there, the two, two clowns are just standing there beside him going, uh, yeah. And you can see on their faces, you're just like, you guys are full of it. Like, what the hell? The gaslighting is off the chart. Anyway, I'm glad for oh, yeah. journalists like you who, who dig into this stuff and, and, and shine a light on it because, you know, abuses like this are just, it's insane. And, and we, we need to never do this again. And uh, hopefully, you know, the one thing man can learn from his history is man never learns from his history. But that's the, that's the beauty yeah. of journaling this and, and writing it out. Well, at uh, the very least, we could fill the stockpile you know, and yeah. have masks, you know, at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully the next virus doesn't require, you know, something else. And we've got the mask for them. Right. Anyway, thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing some of the stuff with us. We really appreciate it, Dave. Thanks for having me. It's fun. 
Thanks for coming. Uh, give us your plugs so we can find you on the internet. I'm on Twitter at David McSwain. I have a website, davidmcswain.com, and the book is at all your major book retailers uh, <clears throat> from Atria Books, a division of Simon & Schuster. So I'm not there used to go. plugging. Did I do that right? You did great. Yeah. yeah you got it. You got the old buy my darn book already, as we like <laughs> to say over here. So definitely check it out, guys. It's number one bestseller in government management right now on Amazon. Pandemic Incorporated, Chasing the Capitalists and Thieves Who Got Rich While We Got Sick, just came out today. So you want to take and pick that book you up. You can say the first one in your neighborhood block or your book club to have read it. I really encourage everybody to read these books, you know. You, you want to vote for better people in government who do a good job. God knows. I mean, just the worst. I, I never thought we would be the worst at this. And we, we had, I think, still had the most sickness and deaths, didn't we? Did anyone ever beat us out on that? Our global population yeah. is an astounding failure. Yeah, it's just it's just incredible. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com for it says Chris Foss. See everything we read and review over there. Go to all of our groups, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube.com for it says Chris Foss. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, as we always say about the uh, pandemic. And we'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>